let me assure you that <clears throat> preaching 3,000 more sermons doesn't make you a preacher. Being able to look back 53 years and in the ministry, you could ask me, well, what does it look like? I have a cousin. Him and I grew up together and we're close. Just a couple months older than I, we were both baptized in the Amish church. We did a lot of things together. And uh, <clears throat> when service together, he was working in the same hospital at least part of the time that my wife and I were there. And he uh, really wanted to work in the hospital, but he was just an Amish boy, and so they put him in the kitchen. And uh, that's where he served in part of his 1W experience. Our ways kind of uh, separated. We kind of lost track of each other. I, I, we was never in their home. Here a couple years ago, they stopped in to see us, which uh, we were kind of surprised. And so uh, we kind of made recontact. And uh, here recently, he uh, sent me a book that he wrote about his life. And uh, a lot of experiences. He uh, served in, uh, as a doctor. He became a doctor, served a doctor in, in Africa and different places, and later in Louisiana in a leprosy hospital. Flew around the world and had a lot of, his book was just full of the things that he'd accomplished. And uh, for our 60th wedding anniversary, our daughter got a book together about our little life. And uh, <clears throat> so I sent him one of those books. And I, I told him, I said, you know, all I was ever was a preacher. <laughs> I never flew around the world. And, uh, and uh, you know, in some ways, you could stop and think, and you know, what did I accomplish in those 53 years? But I told him, I said, you know, all I was a preacher, but I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade my life. Uh, not because I was ever a great preacher. Not because I, even though I went out for revival meetings, I was never a great evangelist. Just tried to do what God wanted me to do. And uh, so I have no regrets. Yes, I know I failed many, many times. As many times I walked off of this platform and other platforms feeling like I was a failure. I just messed up. But let me tell you something. Those of you who may be sitting in the audience, I don't know who you are or if you're there or not. I assume there probably is some people sitting in the audience, some men sitting in the audience kind of tense right now. Wondering what the next few days, next few weeks is going to bring forth. Let me just assure you that if you are and want to be where God wants you to be and you want to serve him the best you know how, you'll never be disappointed. Never be disappointed. God has been faithful to us. <clears throat> In uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How then shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? 
How should they hear without a preacher? Paul is saying we need some preachers. And I realize that when the word preacher is used and preaching is used in the New Testament, it doesn't always talking about this position uh, of being a church leader. It's, it's proclaiming the good news. So Paul is saying that God wants individuals. Some people, of course, need to be in leadership responsibility, but all of us can, in a sense, be a preacher where we share the good news with those that we have opportunity. You know, I find that interesting that God in his wisdom chose that route. In 1 Corinthians, he says that God, by the foolishness of preaching, that's the way he chose to, 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 to give out this word, by the foolishness of preaching. A lot of people would say that's foolish. A foolish way of doing it. God could have written it in the sky. God could have had some angel come down here and proclaim the message. But God uses men. God uses his people to share the good news. <clears throat> uh, I think probably I'm correct in saying this, that today, just like it has been throughout the ages, that this thing of leadership can be very much criticized. It was back in Moses' time, they said, Moses, you take too much on yourself. We're all holy men. Who are you to assume that responsibility? There's still people like that. We don't need preachers. I mean, who do you think you are? A lot of unrest. I told you that this morning. Among even so-called conservative Anabaptist people. A lot of unrest, a lot of confusion. A lot of people say, well, you know, this thing of church membership, uh, we're all the same. In a sense, that's true. We, just because I'm sitting on, standing on this platform doesn't exalt me above anybody else. We're all on the same level. But God does call men to be leaders. I found out some people who say, well, I don't believe in church membership. You know, that's just, you know, we're all a part of the family of God, if you're a Christian, and that's true. And so they say, well, I don't believe in church membership, and so they start something else and just call it non-denominational. Uh, and so that's the kind of thing we're facing in our world today, and that's why this thing of church leadership, you need to write kind of people, the people with certain uh, qualifications to carry on this great responsibility that you're going to be criticized for, you're going to be uh, uh, talked about, but we just go on. We just go on doing what we believe God has called us to do. <clears throat> people said, you know, uh, we need leaders but then when they appoint the leaders and then they criticize them for trying to lead, that makes a very awkward situation for a person. That uh, you're called to, uh, to lead, supposed to be a church leader, and yet you're criticized for leading. 
<clears throat> they just want moderators, not church leaders. Yes, the sad part about it is that this office has been misused and abused. And we want to talk a little about qualifications and hopefully help us to think through what kind of person it takes less that happens. Because you see what happens. Sometimes when God uses a person, it becomes unusable. Because, you know, God has used me. And uh, God wants broken men. God wants surrendered men, not proud men. We may talk about that a little bit later. God wants a few broken, committed individuals to take this responsibility of leading. Let me assure you that the job of leadership, job of being a preacher, looks a lot different from my, back here than it does from the, from the uh, pew. Somehow I get the feeling that some people think, you know, you're a preacher and so it just automatically just comes. It doesn't work that way. Not, not, for, not for me anyway. It doesn't work. It's work. It's work. And uh, I know what it feels like on a Saturday when I was supposed to preach the next day and I have four boys at home. Now I ought to be working with my boys. I ought to be doing things with my boys and at the same time I'm supposed to preach the next day. The, the, the conflict, the, the feeling of, uh, of not being able to fulfill each one the way it ought to be. Just remember, folks, that your preachers, if they have a family, wife and family, is about three different jobs at the same time. And you ought to support that man. You ought to support that man. Pray for him. <clears throat> it was by the foolishness of preaching to present the gospel. Well, let's think about what kind of qualifications do we look for? As Leon read in our opening that God said, the early church said, look out from among you qualified men to take this job, this responsibility. What are we looking for? Usually we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1, that list of things about uses the term bishop, elder, leader. And uh, I, I know when we go through it down through that list, I always kind of sit there, you know, because I, I, uh, it just makes me feel like I've, I haven't reached it. I haven't gotten it there. Uh, I've always had a problem with an inferiority complex and being a preacher hasn't helped anything. You know, when a preacher gets up and he talks about prophet Eli with his bad boys and I sit back there, you know, just like that. I've got some good boys, but not because they had such a good father. <clears throat> what are we looking for? We look at that list and we say, who is sufficient for these things? It's beyond us. We're just human beings. One of the things, and I'm not going to go to that list in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 necessarily, I just want to pick out a few things that the scripture talks about that should be qualifications 
for men that we're looking for. And the first one, probably maybe the most important one, is that they are doctrinally sound. That's one of the foundational Titus chapter 1. Um, this is what Paul says to Titus. And I, I find it interesting that these men would go to these churches and just these newly uh, new Christians and soon they were back there and, and establishing some men to, to lead out in these congregations, these places. Chapter 1, verse 9 of Titus, it says, Holding fast the faithful word as it been taught that they may be able with sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Sound doctrine, those who are doctrinally sound. Titus talks much, or Paul writing to Titus, talked much about sound doctrine. That's true to the scriptures, true to God's word. They may convince the gainsayers, the arguers, those who argue, and uh, criticize. Um, Paul said to the Philippian Christians that they are those who are enemies to the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly. They're selfish people, and they're preaching out of selfish motives. And uh, they want to avoid the cross. They want to get together and have coffee and just, uh, you know, have a nice time of fellowship and come as you are, just the way you are, and of course leave probably the way you came. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in people getting together and exhorting one another, challenging one another, and uh, let, let the, the Holy Spirit reach into heart or, and change us to make, it more, make us more Christ-like. But leaders need to be sound doctrinally on the scriptures. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to be turning to a number of scriptures. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Faithful men. Men of faith. Men who consistently are, are faithful. The job they're given to do, they're faithful in it. They keep on doing it. <clears throat> Look for men who uh, will, under pressure, keep on doing what they believe God has chosen them to do. Jesus said, he that is faithful to little will be faithful in much. So it may be that person that is the janitor, maybe that person that is the person that looks after the grounds, who faithfully does it. Watch that man. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. That's the kind of person you want. Another very, very important qualification 
is good home relationships. What's that person's home life like? Paul said about about qualifications, if he doesn't know how to rule his own house, how can he rule the church? How can he lead out in the church? That's a good person, good way to look at it. Um, You know, you can hide a whole lot. I've been amazed at how people can hide things for a long time, but usually with time, things come out. What kind of person he really is. Um, home relationship. How does he? How does his, him and his wife relate? How does he and his children relate? Now, I think some people have been very, very unfair in uh, watching preachers' families and uh, standing back and criticizing. And um, sure, I know that uh, preachers are human beings and they make mistakes. But I just want you to remember that, uh, as I mentioned a while ago, that, you know, we have about three jobs to do. One is to raise our family, one is to provide for our family, one is to preach and lead in the church. And sometimes that's a very, very difficult to try to decipher and, and get that all in place the best we know how. And uh, I look back on my experience our experience. And I think about the many, many times I was away from home in relation to church work as well as trying to keep the wolf away from the door, provide for my family. I look back and I think, oh, I could have done better, but I'm not sure how. Um, You know, I, I felt very strongly that God's work needs to come first. But we have to remember, folks, that our family is God's work too. Our family is God's work too. Uh, But look at that. How well. A family uh, life is a good testing ground as to what kind of person you are. Because that's usually where we uh, are just what we are. That's where it shows up. And uh, watch that. That kind of person you want to have lead the church is the kind of person that can lead his family and have a good relationship with his wife and his wife being supportive. Uh, that's the only, only way that I can justify the fact that my children are where they are. They're not perfect children because they didn't have a perfect father. But I tell you one thing, one thing, they are where they are because they had a godly mother that supported her husband. And that's so very, very important. I, I credit that where they are to their mother. A fifth thing to look for is self-control. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says this. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who who are taken captive by him 
at his will. Gentle men. A gentle man. A patient man. That is able, in spite of criticism, and usually it will come, just expect it that if you are put in leadership, you probably will get criticized. I remember standing right out there where um, Brother Stoltz was just standing now. He had somebody tell me, well, he said, the devil was in the pulpit today. Uh, you will be criticized more than likely. Can you take it? Can that man take it without criticizing back and getting angry? That's a good, very important qualification for ministers to be able to uh, have self-control in spite of criticism. I remember my mother used to talk about Dottie Musht. He was the, the bishop in her church in, in Kansas. And she had high regard for Dottie Musht. Uh, <clears throat> she respected him highly. And I remember her telling this story about Dottie Musht that was asked to come to a certain uh, congregation where there was a person that was just antagonistic and critical about the ministry, and the ministry tried to work with him and tried to uh, get him to see his error of his way, and he just would, he just was not responsive. They couldn't get anywhere. They asked Dottie Mosh whether you would come and talk to this man and see if there's some way they could help him see where he's at and his attitude. And Mother said that Dottie Mosh went to that person and he uh, started talking to him, and, and this person began uh, railing at him and criticizing him and he just stood there and listened and finally he's kind of, you know, like you usually do, they kind of wind out after a while and Dottie Marsh said, is that all you have to say? And he said, yeah, I guess. He said, well, let me tell you something. You haven't told me all my uh, faults yet. I have a lot more than that. It was through that type of an attitude that he was re able to reach the heart of that man, and it was a change. It's the story my mother told and always impressed me. Self-control. See, self, am I correct in this? That self is the root of all kinds or all kinds of relationship problems. Self. I one time made the mistake of saying that ever since Eve came on the scene, there's been problems in human relationships. And I realized that I should have said ever since there have been two people on the earth. You know, not, it's not all Eve's problem. But self, just look at the dictionary sometime and see how many words in the dictionary have the prefix of self. I think I counted over 100. No, no, they're not all bad words. But it gives some indication of if the problem of self is really the root of relationship problems. So, excuse me, self-control, so important. And number six is humility. Humble, humility. Uh, 
how important that is. Um, I was told once that there was a young man who was just ordained and asked to preach. And uh, he went marching up to the platform and uh, just didn't go very good. And one problem was that uh, in the audience was his hero preacher. I tell you, folks, that'll, that'll, that'll put a challenge in. I remember that. I went to Ohio for a week of meetings, and uh, that was the first time I ever had a week of meetings in a big church. I had a week of meetings in small country churches, but this is the first time in a big church. And I got up to preach. My knees were shaking. You know, I was going up 77 to these meetings, and... Uh, I tell you, it was almost like the devil was in the car. He said, you're going to mess up. I mean, you little country preacher going up there, and you're going to mess up. But, you know, on 70, Interstate 77, every once in a while, there's a sign, no U-turns, no U-turns, no U-turns. I kept on going. First night, I got up to preach. My knees were shaking, and I looked out in the audience, and there was Eli Yutze, my hero preacher, sitting in the audience. They said this young man, he went up and uh, he got, didn't go very good. So he went back to his hero preacher afterward and apologized and said, you know, it just didn't go very good tonight. It just didn't go very good. I'm sorry. It, just, it didn't go very good tonight. And that preacher was wise enough to say, well, you know, God just worked two miracles tonight. One of them, he used you and he kept you humble in doing it. Humility, so very, very important. A humble man. Furthermore, a man with a shepherd's heart. A shepherd's heart. Jesus so clearly demonstrated that in his life. His interest and love for individuals, for people. I read through the Gospel of John and I'm just amazed at how this Jesus, this Son of Man, that's the way he always introduced himself, almost always. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. I think it's only about, excuse me, about four times that he, he introduced, talked to himself about the Son of God. Other people called him the Son of God. Even devils and demons called him the Son of God. He asked Peter, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, he allowed other people to call himself, uh, call him the Son of God, but he himself called him the Son of Man. What he was saying, if I understand correctly, is he was identifying with, the with mankind. Read the Gospel of John, and in chapter 3, you have Nicodemus. In chapter 4, you have the woman at the well. In chapter 5, you have that man at the pool. And you can go on and on. Individual. Yes, he spoke to the multitudes, but he had time for individuals. That's a shepherd's heart. And that's so important if we're going to be good leaders, is to be shepherds. Shepherds. Um, Peter talks about that. He said, the chief shepherd is over you. You take care of the job of being shepherd. 
understand my wife's grandpa, Mose Beachy, who is looked at as the man who started the Beachy Church. I don't think that's quite accurate, but at least he was involved. And uh, he's a man who I understand helped a lot of, uh, in a lot of ordinations and getting churches started and encouraging young men. And I understand one of the things he would say to a young man who was ordained, he said, keep the food low so the lambs can reach it. Keep the food low so the lambs can reach it. You see, in our congregations, I'm not sure if, if I would stop here and count how many people are below 16 years of old, uh, years of old, uh, 16 years old, if I can say it correctly. Uh, how many would be? I suppose half of our congregation here would be that. I'm guessing. Keep the food low because those people, they're going to be the the ones that are coming on, and if the church is going to prosper, they're going to have to be involved. Keep the food low so the lamb can reach it. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Feed my lambs. Feed them. Make sure that they get food. Might be well for us sophisticated preachers who, you know, we try to, 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 to preach sophisticated uh, messages and you know, like we know what we're talking about. We've read, you know, we've read these books. We've read this about this author and all of that. Might be well for us to once in a while have a children's message. Speak to the lambs. A shepherd heart. Now, we're not out to impress people. That's not the focus. Ought not to be. Keep it low. Keep it where they can understand it. Uh, Paul said, I'd rather speak five words that people can understand than 20,000 that they can't. He said, if they don't understand it, you'd like to speak in the air. I'm guessing there's probably a lot of sermons floating out there in the air that never reached hearts. Keep it down low. That doesn't mean that we don't study. That doesn't mean that we don't try to do our best. That doesn't mean that we don't try to challenge our people to higher levels in their spiritual understanding of the scriptures and life. We try to make it understandable so that they can understand. Yes, our aim, our goal is to teach, not to impress. Not to impress. Yes, we want to be faithful in that. Let me just share with you in thinking about an ordination. I want to share with you some of the perils of preaching. Some of the dangers that go along with being a preacher. As I said before, we must remember they're just men. Just men. And they're subject to temptation just like everybody else. Um, in recent years, sad to say, a lot of men have fallen. A lot of leaders have fallen. That's sad. And Nathan said to David, he said, 
because of your sin, your position that you had as king, and because of your sin, you have caused many people to blaspheme. Yes, as people looked on and they saw men who were supposedly leaders who fell, criticized the church and criticized Christianity and uh, blasphemed the name of God. I would say probably one of the first perils preacher is pride. Pride. You know that young fellow that kind of felt good about being a preacher? And he struts up to the pulpit and it doesn't go very good and he comes back down and kind of like a whipped dog. And the old preacher says to him, you know, if you'd have went up like you came down, you probably came down like you went up. Humble rather than pride. See, the problem is that sometimes when a person is given position, uh, it goes to the head. That's what happened to King Saul. He was a, uh, appeared to be, at least to begin with, a very humble man. But once he got in position, he became a proud man. And you understand what happened. A second thing that we want to look at one of the things that has entangled people in that responsibility is entanglement with material things. Things that make so that you are so involved in material things that you can't fulfill your responsibility in spiritual things. Entanglement. Paul said that a good soldier doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this world. Somebody said it this way about Mennonite people. They said, Mennonites say it this way. Uh, <clears throat> Lord, we, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. I asked Bishop Brother when I was ordained. We were on trying to make a living barely, on a farm over here in Marysville, across from the chapel. And uh, I didn't know. I mean, I felt this big load on me, and I asked this bishop brother, I said, can a person be a preacher and a farmer at the same time? And he said, well, he said, Eli, you probably, if you take it seriously, you won't be the most successful farmer. Entanglement. Now, you can be a farmer and a preacher. Don't, don't misunderstand me, but uh, the problem is don't get entangled. Uh, and that can happen in a lot of ways. It can happen in business. Uh, it can happen in any way that you try to make a living. A third thing, and here's where a lot of preachers have gotten caught in the trap, the peril of immorality. 
Paul said to Timothy, treat young women with all purity. Paul knew what was in the heart of men. Paul knew what temptation men had. So he said, young Timothy, you be careful how you treat women. You see, being a leader puts men in the limelight. And uh, can be devastating if men don't know how to handle female attention. A lot of men have fallen. I'm going to fall. I asked an evangelist back when I was first ordained. Uh, I said, uh, Brother and you, do you have any counsel for a young preacher? He said, yeah. Number one, he said, don't count your sheep. I think what he's talking about, don't, you know, kind of, well, you know, this revival meeting had this many responses, and this revival meeting had this many responses, and you keep record of all of that and kind of pat yourself on the back that God's using you. Yeah, don't do that. The second thing he said, watch for sensual women. That's good advice. Good advice. Well, I'll tell you one thing. And I don't think that you should necessarily put this down as one of the qualifications. But being a, a ugly preacher helps. <clears throat> Wives are an important part of the ministry. Very, very much so. Why the, the Bible includes wives when it gives the qualifications. Watch the wives as well because they are become a part of this ministry. And if they're not a part of the ministry, if they don't feel a part of the ministry, that man is going to have some real tough times, I'll show you. He doesn't have the support of his wife. A fourth thing, a peril, is becoming men-pleasers. Trying to please men, using uh, illustrations and ways to try to, to get men's applause, applaud, and uh, get men to admire them. Uh, men must learn to stand without becoming stubborn. Stand but not stubborn. A fifth thing that we want to is having proper balance in your preaching. Um, and that's a real challenge. Uh, I don't have a computer. I wouldn't know how to operate a computer if I had one. But uh, I take people go in my study and they see all these little notebooks and uh, have my sermon notes in and uh, I said that's my computer right there but anyway I'm embarrassed I am embarrassed at some of the sermons that I preached uh, and there's, a, there's always a temptation you know some subject you enjoy uh, more than others and so if you're not careful you can get unbalanced uh, maybe you like eschatology, and you know you can you can use that as 
all kinds of ways. Or maybe it's something else. Uh, just be balanced. Somebody said the only time some people are imbalanced is when they passing from one extreme over to the next one. That middle, we're in the middle. That they, that's the only time they're balanced. I've said already that you know if if there were eleven commandments, probably the eleventh would be "Be thou balanced." Balance, giving proper balance. That's why accountability is so important. In a person that, that um, you know, I'm the man, I'm in charge, uh, you know, everybody should do what I say, uh, they don't want to be accountable to anybody. But our type of administration, I hope your type of administration, is that the, the ministry, that group of men that has been called to lead the church are accountable to the congregation and they're accountable to each other to balance each other, to help each other see that we don't go off on a limb somewhere. And uh, another thing I think is a peril is just being plain lazy. Oh, you know, they're probably not going to remember what I said anyway, a week from now. So why spend uh, hours at the desk, hours at praying, hours at studying to try to come across with a message that God would have you to give when they're not going to remember it anyway. And so we just kind of get lazy. That's a temptation. And it's a temptation that I've struggled with. I have to admit that. Just kind of, you know, well, yeah, we'd, but uh, not really seeking God, direction, and power and Holy Spirit guidance to give that message. Just plain lazy. Heard about this preacher who came to the pulpit one day and uh, there was a note on the pulpit that said, and we would see Jesus. It's what the Greeks came to Philip. You remember that? So we would see Jesus. He was kind of taken aback and a little bit upset but then he began thinking about it. Yeah, he'd gotten lazy. And uh, evidently, it was showing. So he got down on his knees, he repented, and he asked God to help him make a fresh start. And he went back to the pulpit the next Sunday with a, just a new zeal. And, a, uh, and the following Sunday, he came to the pulpit again, and there's another note. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Yeah. You know, I think probably our congregation, our audience isn't all dumb. They can oftentimes see behind the screen we put up here. They can sense whether it's coming from the heart or whether it's just coming from the head. They can sense if they love you or you love them or whether you're just doing it out of duty trying to get over with so you can get back to the job the next week. Laziness. That's the kind of man you want to look out for is a man who is of God. Man who takes it seriously. Man who feels like the church has called me to this. God has used the church to call me to this responsibility 
I want to do it to the best I possibly can. Not some great man, but a humble man. Not some great learned man, but a teachable man. Not some great leader, but a great follower of Jesus Christ, a follower. You see, we can never really be a good leader till we learn how to be a good follower of Jesus. Not some great speaker, but a great lover of the truth. A committed man, a broken man. A man with gelassenheit. Uh, I'm still not sure that I quite understand all that's involved in that word, that German word, but it's a word that was used by the early Anabaptists as a qualification for Christian. Gelassenheit. Humble. Submitted. Surrendered. That's the kind of man we need. Man with a shepherd's heart, with the heart of Jesus. Let's have a closing song.